Abba Yahweh, again we meet, again we are together, again you give me the opportunity to share your word, your truth, your knowledge that you give to me. You impart to me and allow me to be the conduit, Father. Thank you so much for blessing me in this. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So the Holy Spirit's got me up early this morning, but that's okay. I don't mind. Because this has to do with, I've, I've shared with you and I'm going to share again with you because it's a, it's a necessary thing and I believe it's a pertinent bit of information. And although my pastor at my church calls it something different and the scripture calls it something different and that's okay. It's called abiding. I've shared this thing with you before, abiding. People don't know or they don't use that term anymore because they prefer terms like, oh, we're just going to hang out. We're just going to, we're just going to, we're just, what is that? You don't go, you don't share any interpersonal time with anyone. You just go and you're there. And most of the time that I've seen anyone there with anybody, they're not there because they're over in their little electronic device and they've got their faces buried in it. So they're not talking to anyone. They're not visiting with anyone. And they're just basically there in presence only. And their mind isn't there. They're someplace else. They're in. They're in their gaming, and I have caught myself. Um, what I what I started practicing doing is when I get in and around others, is I put the phone away. I just put it away. I have this. Um, I guess you could call it an addiction. I play solitaire, but I play it differently. I make it a little bit more difficult. That doesn't mean that it detracts any less of not paying attention to others when they're around me. So what I do is I put my phone away. And when I go to church, I turn the volume either all the way down or I power it off. I don't have any reason to be in there. I don't look to the scriptures and and uh, the electronics. I like flipping through my Bible. And um, I like to turn the pages. I like turning the pages. And God's really good to me in that he takes me from the Old Testament to the New Testament and back again. He helps me to practice the rule of faith. And as my study, as my study book is called from these two gentlemen, one from the 1500s and 
rum one later on and and I believe he passed away in 1970 but the book credits from those that put this together give them co-credits for the book from their notes and their journals that they wrote in utilizing this to establish a relationship with God. And the book is called Practicing His Presence. And I've shared this with you before. Brother says, this is, this is abiding with God. This is what abiding with God is about. This is what you need, we need to practice with one another. We need to practice being with God. We need to practice being with our Lord. We need to practice being with the ones that we're supposed to be loving here on this earth. And how are you going to be with them if you're so wrapped up in electronics and you're not even acknowledging, basically not even acknowledging their existence? I've shared this with you before. I'm going to share it with you again because it's pertinent and it's relative and it's important. This little electronic device is actually being really, really controlling and controlled by the agenda of the Prince of the Air. And for those of you have, that have not heard me use that terminology before, that's a pseudonym for Satan. They call him the Prince of the Air, the Prince of the Earth, the Prince of Darkness. And that's not Dracula and some vampiric thing, and you've heard that term used in the Pockywood movies. The prince of darkness is Satan, and he wants you in a dark, desolate place. He doesn't want you to have interpersonal relationship with anyone, least of all God. Oh my goodness, he does not want you to practice being with God. And if he can get you tied up in anything else, he's going to work at it. And I have watched and I have witnessed too many times, countless times, I can't even give you a number, where I have watched people that are so buried in this phone, the electronic device, mostly the phones, they've got the earbuds. I watched people walk straight into moving traffic, that they're walking against the light they have no right away, and they walk straight into the road. And when somebody honks at them, they flip them the middle finger because they're agitated. They got honked at instead of paying attention. They don't ask directions anymore. It used to be a time and a day. This is what we were told when we were children and we got out wandering around. Well, if you get lost and you're confused about something and you can't find it, ask a policeman, ask a fireman, or ask a postman because any one of them would be able to give you good directions. So if one of those three were anywhere around, you could ask them or ask a native that is from the area. They would be able to give you good directions. I watched a couple fussing and arguing actually because the guy being a stereo, stereotypical male would not ask any directions. 
and was insistent upon using the GPS to find where they were looking to go. Wasn't going to ask anybody. Oh, no. No, 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 no. He knew how to use a GPS and he knew what he was going to do. And I could tell that the woman was trying to get him to ask directions. And I, I happened to be... My job that day was doing this route that was very localized and just a loop around downtown. It was a, a free commuter service that is provided and is subsidized by the city. And the company that I was working for provided that transportation. And I liked it. It, it got you, kept you local. It was a good day. But I went around and they were busy fussing at each other and trying to find directions. Well, I went around and I turned a corner and I went ahead and I I put myself out of regular routing and came back on another side street. I called my controller and told them what I was doing. I said, that's fine, thank you. So I went back, I stopped, and I hollered out the window, I said, You've been going around in circles. Can I help you? What are you looking for? And they gave me the name of this particular little place. And I said, okay. What you do is you go down this street, go down two blocks, go to two streets down, take a left turn, and you're going to go five doors. And you're right in front of where you want to be. Two streets down, five doors to the left, and you're there. Oh, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then, of course, as they were walking away, I saw her slap him on the shoulder, and he's, like, trying to talk to her, you know. But he wasn't going to ask. And I was able to go down, and where I was, I had to go down two streets because the one street was a one-way opposite of where I needed to get to to help them. So I had to go two streets down, and two more streets down, and then I could come across back and turn up and help them out. But this GPS that everyone relies on, and so much smarter than everybody, they call them smartphones, I'm not sure why, really, because they're not really smarter than anybody else. Uh, you can get a lot of information, I guess. It's not always truthful. But didn't want to rely on talking to anyone, wouldn't ask anyone for direction, and had been so many people had been walking by. What they didn't know is that GPS system pretty much was locked out where they were. They were right in the midst of all the tall, iron structured buildings that blocked signals and didn't allow them to get a good signal where they're going. Because I watched him stand on signal, and he was looking on, he was standing on the corner, and he was looking at it. And he kept shrugging his shoulders, and he turned one way, turned one way, turned one way, and he turned all around and couldn't get anything, and then shrug his shoulders and then start taking some steps in a direction. I knew that they were lost. Absolutely knew they were lost. But here's a, a fantastic thing. And I was listening to some of these contemporary artists. I, I tell you that I, I really enjoy them. Actually, I do. But I am learn to enjoy them more by listening to what they're saying. Not just hearing the music, a nice lilt and good things, and like the phrasing, I don't like all the rappy-dappy stuff because most of the time when I hear 
unfortunately, I, I like all kinds of music. I'm a musician. I started when I was very young. Took a lot of practice in order to become good at it. But that one thing I don't like, and that's because a great percentage is really, really just nasty, vile, and talks about violence. There are some that come. However, I will tell you this. That young man I shared with you about, Toby Mack, I like his. He's got that one that's just really, really good, and I listened to another one that he did that's more of a rap style. And listening to what he was saying, listening to the words instead of just hearing it and tuning it out because I didn't like that style of music, I listened to what he was talking about. And in listening, he was talking about the almighty power of God and how God basically is insisting that he is going to stay with us, <laughs> insisting that he's going to be here for all our needs. Here's an important aspect of this practicing to abide. Practice, practice God's, and I like this term that, that uh, Brother Labak used. He calls it practice God's hearness. I like that. What do I do in the early morning hours? I'm sitting here and I have my companions over here and they're, they're both sat down but they know what I'm doing. They really know what I'm doing. I'm practicing the hearness of God. And God is here. His Holy Spirit is here. I can feel him here. I take the time that I have quiet and alone and I'm here with God. And he comes and he talks to me. He shares with me. He's practicing his hearness with me. I'm getting a little emotional here. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta calm my jets down. But in my, in my abiding with God last night, I would just, man, yesterday evening was really, really, really a good day. And um, I had on, I put on my headphones and everything was gone except worship. And I was worshiping God. I was singing to God and we were spending time together and it was really a good time. And some of the words that I heard just really struck a chord. And I was like, oh, Father. And I realize that what we do is we do this very thing that we find in the Old Testament when the, the, the children of Israel were getting ready to go into the promised land and they sent their spies in and God sent them into the land that he promised that he would deliver to them and it was a good place for them and they could stay there because it was as they told it's flowing with milk and honey. What does that mean? That means that it was good to find 
anything in there that you needed for sustenance. And when they came out, they had grapes that were so large, they had to use, they had to carry them in, two men, one in front and one in back to carry these things out. The pomegranates and the other fruits that they enjoyed eating were readily available. The water that flowed was sweet to drink, except there was one problem. The problem wasn't in the land that was promised to them. The problem was in them. And these two members of the spy party that went in to that land, they came back with the only, the only thing, Joshua and Caleb, yes, let's go. God said, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. I'm ready, I'm ready. You ready, Caleb? I'm ready. You ready, Joshua? I'm ready. Let's go, let's go, let's go. God said he'd do it. Let's go get God's promise. They were ready. However, that nagging problem ensued and got them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And what was that? The fact that these two that went to a particular area saw giants, large people. We actually find the book of Deuteronomy talks about them. And they were called by several names. The Moabites called them the Anukim, and there were others that called them Zenuins, and yet another term, and that Philistine Goliath came from this land of giants. And he was relatively nine and a half feet tall. He was almost 10 feet tall. And he was going to go out and beat up on this 17-year-old, almost 18-year-old teen. But he made a huge error. And his error was that he was degrading God, belittling God, and saying that basically it called God a coward. Well, David got agitated, not that God needed him to defend him. But David went out there and glorifying God smacked David with a rock, right? Not quite between the eyes, but right at the top of the bridge of the nose, at the brow line. And he crashed face down onto the ground and David took his own sword and cut his head off. So that's right. And the Philistines, they absolutely didn't, they were, they were actually petrified with fright now. And the Israeli army let out a whoop and a holler and they went and chased them down. But that same power 
of God was with the nation of Israel going into the promised land. However, the problem ensued that they saw themselves as grasshoppers. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. So they then in turn convinced everyone else that they couldn't go in there because these giants who were really large, a very large people, giants comparatively, but not like Jack and the Beanstalk giants, but they were just really big and very scary, especially when they were clanking around in armor and swords and things that they had. Yeah, it was, I'm sure it was frightening. However, as we often do, as we often do, and this is where that song came in, I was listening to this, and talking about how we see ourselves. And Satan loves to do this, and he gets us to see ourselves as less than. And not magnifying the Lord in any way, shape, or form, but seeing us as less than. And he loves to get us into that. and get us to think about us and not about how powerful he is and how mighty his, he is. And yeah, it was her. I, I was just looking something up, sorry. Um, Tasha Layton, I've shared this song with you before her and the lyrics in this, but talks about that very thing. Satan loves to get us to second guess. Second guessing usually gets you into trouble. I've shared with you before, Satan loves to use the power of our mind against us. And there are very powerfully intellectual individuals they have genius IQs. And sometimes what I, I tend to notice that, um, keep in mind I've been around for a little bit so I notice a lot of things. And I pay attention to a lot of things. Don't look like it, but I do. And in my time that my father, God, has allowed me to be in this plane of existence, I have noticed that Generally speaking, the individuals with the, what are considered to be the higher IQs tend to be in the most problematic. And most of that is that they generate these issues and problems themselves. They second guess a lot. Einstein had a terrible problem with second guessing formulation and actually lost a couple because he was too busy second-guessing instead of just doing what he had already calculated to be correct and found that it worked, 
But then he started second guessing. Yeah, but what if? But here's the thing with God. We do that often. And that song that I was listening to was talking about what we see. And this young woman, Tasha Layton, in case anyone wants to listen to this, and I'm not sponsoring her, providing commercialization, it's not what I'm doing. Um, but this great song that she helped co-write, it's called Look What You've Done. And there's actually a two-sided conversation. First of all, as herself or whoever it could be, you could put yourself in there. Satan is talking to the person. Look what you've done. How could you fall so far? How could you allow yourself to fall so far from God's grace? How could you allow that? How could you do that? What? You should be absolutely ashamed of yourself. So they were ashamed. Couldn't go to God. Oh no. They couldn't possibly go to God. They were too ashamed. God would God would know right away what they had done or what they had said or how they are. Yes, he does. And he loves you anyway. He cares for you anyway. Because you are his. He has called you. And Jesus has said this. God says it. That's right. I called you because you're mine. You are in my love, you are my child, and there is nothing that's going to separate you from my love. And when you stand in his presence, when you practice, when you take time to practice his hearness, you can see, you can feel. And sometimes in the darkness, my service dogs are busy sleeping and they're just with me. But I feel him. It's just me and I can feel him. I honestly feel him. And sometimes it becomes so overwhelming because because he loves me so much. But here's the other thing where the problem comes in that becomes problematic. We tend to not magnify God. Just as the nation of Israel decided to listen to the negative report on the individuals that saw themselves as grasshoppers, so they didn't believe that the magnanimous God, the maker of all things made, they didn't, they, we can't go in there. Oh my gosh. God against these giants? The giants are huge. They, we're like grasshoppers. They'll step on us for sure. But the almighty Lord God, Hashem, said he'd be with you. 
but you allowed fearfulness to drive your reaction. I shared this with you before. When we allow fear to direct our steps, our actions and our reactions to others and situations, we are being fearful. God already knows that we're afraid. He already knows that we're weak. He already knows that we're broken. He already knows that we're scarred. God doesn't care. in the way that it matters to some that would drive them away from someone else. If And here's the other thing too, while I brought that up, don't react to God the way that you're going to react to somebody else. If you saw somebody else in our condition or in your condition, you wouldn't want to be with them. You wouldn't want to hang out with them. So then you try to put that off on God. Can't do that. You can't do that because you are not sovereign Lord God Almighty, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last, the maker of all things made, the ancient of days, Jehovah Jireh, my Lord, my provider, Rafa, Rohan, Elohim, Erikanu, all those names that are in that glossary, I shared that with you before. All those things that are God, they are his characteristic. You cannot try to impose yourself into God's sovereignty by deciding who you're going to forgive. You can't forgive that person for what they did. Oh, man, you just don't understand. There's no way. I, they, they were so, it was so terrible. Excuse me. Need I remind you? And evidently I do, because there's some out there, and I will. That God manifests himself on this plane of existence as a humble, not as a king and Lord God Almighty, maker of all things made, the word, the truth, the light, the life. Although he was all of those things, he came down and he was born and a stable because everything was full. It was a census and they didn't make reservations. They didn't call ahead. So when they got to Bethlehem, all the rooms were full. So they had to stay in a stable. When Jesus was born, the swaddling cloth that he was found wrapped in, that was used, I've shared this with you before, share with you again, that's actually quite significant. They were clean, but those, clo those cloths are used to help deliver lambs. They're used to help deliver lambs if there's a difficulty in a birth. And just in case you're missing the point to that, Jesus Christ, Jesus Savior, Christ, anointed of God, Emmanuel, God with us, God in us, was wrapped in the very thing 
that was used to deliver lambs. He was the sacrificial lamb of God that came. And John the baptizer called him that when he came down to be baptized. Behold the lamb of God, whose sandals I am not fit to latch. Jesus Christ's earthly cousin. Because when he was in Mary's sister's womb and Mary came and embraced her and gave her the greeting, the baby leapt. John, while he was in the womb, leapt for the presence of his Lord. We tend to look at God in a very minuscule way. That's pretty pathetic and pitiful, actually. Be straight up and honest with you. That's pathetic. How can you, or how can one, let's not specific, you, when I say that you, it's a general term, so don't get your knickers all twisted up like I'm, picking on you personally and you in particular because right now I'm looking at my pad and I can't see anyone. So it's a generalized term. So your knickers twisted about that. But if you do take it personally, then perhaps you should be. But we tend to diminish instead of magnify Lord God Almighty. And we tend to diminish his capability of doing anything at all. And you have to understand that many, quite often, God will utilize individuals here in this plane of existence to perform and do miraculous things. I look around and see God in everything. What do you see when you see these skyscraper buildings that are massively tall and quite honestly, if you sat down and tried to figure out how to do it on your own, you couldn't. And yet, that knowledge, that information, and the wisdom and how to apply that knowledge, that's what wisdom is. It's a collection of knowledge and the application of such. And you have these architects and these builders and all these individuals, and then they get these construction guys that do go out and do the physicality but they gave them directions on how to do it. This has got to attach here. This is attaching here. And you have these buildings that will go up massively tall. 50, 60, 70 stories tall, even higher. And they're building a skyscraper now. Well, of course, it's taken a dead stop. But out there somewhere, I think it was an Arabian building. It was nearly a mile high. Oh my goodness, can you imagine? There are aircraft that would be flying by your office window if you were all the way up in the top of that. 
But the point that I'm making with that is that knowledge that was imparted to them on how to put that structure together and build it and get it up there. When I go in town, when I have that occasion, and not even downtown to see the skyscraper type buildings, but just very large, tall buildings. And you have people that go in there, they live in them, they work in them. Is that not miraculous? You don't think that's miraculous? I think it's astounding. I think it's a beautiful thing that that knowledge and information, that wisdom that God shares, and he does, he shares it with us. You need but ask. God is with us all the time. We need to, and I keep looking, at, I have my, my study books out here, which reminds me, I have to get into studies. Practice his presence. And as I said, I love the term that he has, his hearness. I am just... I'm engulfed in God's hearness. I'm back here in back of my residence. I'm at my desk. I'm in the word of God. His truth and his knowledge is all around me. And his hearness. He's here. I feel him. I can hear him. I can feel his love for me. And yet we diminish ourselves. Whoa, hold the phone here, brothers and sisters. How can you possibly justify that? God doesn't care what you've done. What he cares about is who you are. God is about redemption. God is about repentance. God is about love. He is our heavenly father. And his desire is to have us be able to be with him. Always. But in this plane of existence, the enemy, the devil, has us at odds. And I just happened to be, I was marking some things that I'm going to share with you, but <laughs> I have, uh, the Holy Spirit works on me this way. And I'm in Psalms 56. And what those spies that went into Canaan did is not this. What time I am afraid I will trust in thee. In God will I praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. David wrote that. He also wrote 10 and 11. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. 
In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. We find nearly identical wording back in the New Testament. You can find that in the book of Romans, our adoption letter. Romans 12 talks about it, Romans 8. And Romans 12, I believe it is, can't remember the exact verse, but I'm going to flip back there right quick. You know I will. Just hold on with me. I didn't mark it because I didn't plan on, on doing this, but Holy Spirit has got me doing this stuff. Where is it at? I am sorry, but I had, I'm looking and I, I, I'm missing it. Maybe I'm scanning too fast. Pardon me, bear with me. I'm flipping again, heading to Romans 8. I'm looking for a particular... Here we go. It is in Romans 8, sorry. <laughs> I'm old, I got, I forget stuff. Trying to justify that, sorry. We have to remember that in Romans 8, 28, this is, this is our adoption. I remember Romans 8, I've shared with you before, I call it my adoption letter. And if you read through it, you'll understand why, but in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. So what do we have to be afraid of? Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril of the sword. None of those things. But as Paul is telling us that for the Lord's sake that we may find eventually come to that point, and there are individuals that are going through this now. They're being put together for, his, put to death for his namesake. But here's the thing. Let's go back. We're going to follow the rule of faith and going all the way back to Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 6, God is talking about his spirit and being with us And the nation is being told this thing. Uh, sorry, a little distracted here. I'm finding my father's notes right here. This is my father's study Bible. Used to be. Now it's my study Bible. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart. It'll be in spirit. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Now, how are you going to do that if you're so bound up in this little electronic device, your smartphone, and you're so wrapped up in that, and you're so deep in that that you don't even have interpersonal relationship with anyone around? So how are you going to share that truth? How are you going to share that if you're wrapped up in something that Satan likes to manipulate and use? Trust me in this, brothers and sisters, he does. But you have to claim that authority, declare the authority of Jesus Christ. I have to do that. I have to do it because Satan tries to draw my attention. But I have to hold on to what he has given me. And in Deuteronomy 4, 29. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Not hard to find. You just have to want to do it. You have to want it. That's what they used to tell us when I was going through basic training to become a Marine. I did that because my second oldest brother was in the Marines and he went to a place called Vietnam, which later on I, anyway, um, went to places that were not really pleasant and good. I didn't find out that after my father had actually passed away that he was in this place called Guadalcanal. Some older people might recognize that name. You younger people that don't even know that, that was a place where out of the thousands of Marines and soldiers that were there defending that little piece of island territory that was so important, there were literally only a handful that survived and left that place. My father was one. I didn't even know he was there until after he had passed away. But my father was on that place. God had plans for him. God had plans for him to teach me. And he did. And here in Deuteronomy 7, this is something that he's telling the nation because I guess they got a little bit of a haughty attitude, which he did on occasion. The Lord did not set his love upon you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for ye were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loves you. John 3.16 is a powerful testament to that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then you have the perverts that, of course, will twist that and say that God's going to condemn you to hell if you don't believe. No, God is not. God is going to righteously judge and you may end up there, 
but he's not going to condemn you. You condemn yourself. If you choose, you opt out of the opportunity to be in the kingdom of heaven. If you opt out of being his ambassador, if you opt out of being his child of love and caring, if you opt out of all these things that God wants to bless you with, if you opt out of the opportunity to have the heaven's windows open and let God just dump his precious blessings on you, which he tells us he will do. He tells us that right in the scripture. It says, for them that love the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out mightily the blessings upon you that you will not have storeroom for them. You can't supply storage for the blessings that God will dump on your head if you believe and have faith and you love him because he loves you. And yet you have perverts that will sit there and tell us that the word of God needs to be rewritten and I'm just, I feel it welling up again. So I'm just, sorry, I'm just taking a minute to rebuke that because these individuals, they rattles my cage when I see them stand with the audacity to stand up on, on the front of their congregation the way they do and speak the way they do. But I'm going to share something with you, and I know this is going to rattle some cages and it's going to twist some knickers, but too bad, so sad, because truth is truth. Remember I've shared with you this false deity, Ishtar, and when this sorceress can change things, and when she's getting ready to change, she will, her, they say her eyes changes to a rainbow, and this the gift of God, the rainbow was given to God as a declaration that he would not destroy the world by flooding again. But that has been changed. And this deity uses that. And these individuals that were at one time, could have been at one time, good preachers, pastors, and they're... I'm not even sure what you call it. But anyway, you know, I think you understand when when you have a priest that goes to give the last rites and all this, they put on they put on the scarf and they go in and they, they pray over the person in the hospital. And these individuals are not of the Catholic religion or faith, but they're wearing these things and these things are a rainbow. And I bring that up not to be, now I know that there's going to be individuals that are going to be offended. Well, what I tell you all the time, and I say it again, if you want to be offended, then you will find offense. Seek offense and you shall surely find it. So this is talking about the false deity Ishtar. It has nothing to do with the, with the other, the coalition that's going around chomping and stomping their feet around. But the point that I'm making is here you have this, perverted individual who's parading up and down the stage and has one of these things and making a point to flap, hit it with his hand so it looks like it's flapping in the breeze and there's no breeze. But he's declaring that the word of God needs to be changed and rewritten because John three sixteen we've been teaching it wrong. 
except that the individual took it out of context. She didn't read the entire passage. You have to go from John 3.16 down to the bottom of that passage. You go down into verse 24. You read through it. And it talks about God did not have his only begotten son come down here to die on the cross to sacrifice himself for our sake so that we would have the opportunity of redemption and resolution of that debt that we owe so much in but didn't have anything to pay it, but he came and paid it. Nothing in there does it say that he is going to send us to hell if we don't believe, but what it does say is that we choose not to believe, then we condemn ourselves to that point. And if you don't repent and you continue to refuse, then yes, you are going to send yourself and condemn yourself to hell. And the justice and the just righteous judgment from God is that he's going to let you go. Because you keep choosing and choose not to believe, have faith in God, and believe the word of God is truth. You made that choice and you decide, so you send yourself. And then the other individual who's same thing, has got one of those, is trying to convince his congregation that the Bible is full of contradictions. There's nothing contradictory in the Bible. If you read and you follow the rule of faith from the front to the back and the back to the front and you read through here, you find and said everything is interwoven. There's no contradiction in the Bible. It's all true. Infallible truths. And I testify to this because of the empirical evidence that I have seen that cannot be disputed by what I have seen. And although these individuals are despicable and they're going to severely answer if they do not repent, but here's the thing. I do pray for them that that is possible. And here's something else that I'm going to read to you. This is from Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. This is Moses talking to the people. And this is the promise of God. Does that sound familiar to you? You will find that in Joshua 1.9, when Joshua has taken over the leadership of the nation of Israel. God's telling him to be of good courage, be strong, don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. And we're told this, we find that also declared in the book of Psalm. We also find it in Isaiah And we have to find, oh, Holy Spirit just brought me right here to this, Isaiah 5, Isaiah 5 and 20. This is important, especially nowadays. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, 
I put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. We find that God tells us about this way back here in Isaiah. And then we will go all the way into the New Testament in Matthew 24. And our Lord Jesus gives us heed and warning to how this is going to take place in this plane of existence that we're in. And that it will happen here. And he tells us, he warned us, he said, it will be as it was in the days of Noah before the return of the Son of Man. What does that mean? Before he comes again, it's going to get really bad. But don't take fright. Don't be afraid because the magnanimous Lord God Almighty, the maker of all things made, the all-powerful Lord God is with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed because he will never leave nor forsake you. Practice his hearness. I just love that word. I'm sorry. That, that's, for, that's for me personally. I like to practice his hearness. But practice his presence. It does take practice. It takes practice for meditation for you to be able to focus on that. Brothers and sisters, I started in the third grade in music. I had to practice. Trust me, it didn't sound good when I started. But I had to practice so good. I had some really good mentors. But I had to get over some things. Mostly I had to get over me. And just go. Brothers and sisters, we have to get over us and just go. God tells us. And I've shared with you before, God is a respecter of no man or woman. He doesn't care what you have, what you don't have. He doesn't care what you smell like. He doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care what you possess. None of that matters. And some people have a lot of stuff because they are given that opportunity through the course of their existence. And God allows but that doesn't matter to him. What matters is the character of the heart. If you have those things, have good character to go with it. And let that be your banner, not those things that you have. So many people like to declare what they have and they like to showboat. A lot of times you'll find gold. You have men and women that are both gold diggers. That's what they look for. They look for recognition because of what they have. The reality many times is that they really don't have it, but they want it. That's called covetousness. Brothers and sisters, you're in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in every day?